Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and I'm very excited for today's show. We have joining us on the other side of the mic, Keone Han. He is the founder of Monad Labs, Monad Labs, and you, I mean, you have a very interesting background. This isn't the first time we've had a veteran of the HFT world trying something interesting, unique, and innovative in the crypto space. So you spent two years at Gecko, which is a firm that I wrote about a lot when I was at Business Insider covering market structure. And there's a very fascinating history there pre-KCG. And then obviously that got snapped up by Virtu in 2017. You also spent eight years at Jump, which is another firm, Chicago-based with an incredible history. Um, once, I, you know, you'll find this funny. I described it in most articles up until like 2020, 2021 as the secretive HFT firm. Of course, they then entered crypto and became a bit more open. Um, and you sort of got involved there around 2020, I want to say, in crypto. So kind of in line with that history. Let's maybe start there, if you don't mind, before we talk about the project. Like, why do you think, what is the magnet within crypto that draws HFT guys and gals is it just uh, mercenaries mercenarying, or is there something about the tech or the problems that are quite similar and almost identical to those that are in, uh, well, we call it the HFT space, but that's really just a component of what many of these firms do. But what do you think, what do you think uh, is behind that? And then we can sort of dive into your story. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think if I had to guess just off the top of my head, I would say a couple of things that are overlaps are the commonality between an emphasis on performance and scalability, number one. Um, I would say number two would be um, just the significant use of math. And um, we all know in, in crypto that like there are these certain formulas that are really magical that are powering Uniswap and powering balancer and powering curve and um i think the the love for math the nerdy love for um you know using data and making inferences from that probably the second thing um and then i think the third thing is just um ultimately hft is providing a service of market making disintermediating uh, buyers and sellers who might not be appearing at exactly the same moment and warehousing risk warehousing inventory temporarily to offset those buy and demand, buy and sell demand um, imbalances, and in crypto, you know, we have a lot of people that are using crypto for personal finance. DeFi is just personal finance, um, and so when those all come together, it's just um, it's crazy what what can happen. So maybe I got a bit ahead of myself just because uh, HFT world excites me. But walk us through the project and sort of the problem set that it's trying to solve for. Sure thing. Monad is an effort to introduce pipelining to the Ethereum virtual machine. Pipelining is really needed in order to help the Ethereum virtual machine to scale and ultimately to allow decentralized apps to scale. Understood. And so who would be leveraging Monad? Monad's two, I, I guess I would say the two major users are developers and users. Uh, on the developer side, um, so let me maybe step, take a step back and describe Monad a little bit more. Monad is fully EVM compatible. Monad is a new layer one. And Monad rebuilds the EVM from scratch to introduce 
uh, a number of different architectural optimizations um, that ultimately all boil down to pipelining, i.e. the idea of scheduling work more intelligently and doing things in parallel um, in order to maximally use all of the resources of the network. Um, because Monad is fully EVM compatible, um, and by that I specifically mean bytecode compatible, it means that developers who've built existing applications for Ethereum or other blockchains can redeploy seamlessly onto Monad um, without any code changes. And that's really important because there's a lot of libraries, applications, a lot of the um, applied cryptography research is all being done in the context of EVM. So helping this standard that is EVM to scale is really um, something that we think will help push the space of de decentralized apps forward. And why sort of, to an extent, go against the grain in a world where I feel like we're coalescing around one layer one, why sort of decide and build out your own? I think at the end of the day, there's multiple technological improvements that need to get made in order to help decentralized apps to really scale. Um, and some of the some of the directions of, of technological improvement um, we're all probably pretty familiar with, like optimistic rollups or zero knowledge rollups or new data availability solutions or um, shared sequencing, things like that. Monad is really opening up a new vertical, which is pipelining. And we think that that's also really needed in order to help the crypto ecosystem scale. So um, at the end of the day, Monad is demonstrating this capability of pipelined execution um, in the form of a new layer one. But uh, just in more generally speaking, this is just a technology that is really needed alongside the other ones to help Ethereum and decentralized app scale. Do you think there's a sort of TradFi or HFT world analogy to describe the way in which you're improving pipelining as a way to sort of maybe explain it to listeners who are coming from that world? Mm -hmm. Is it something yeah, you've maybe think... thought about as a way of comparison? Yeah, I think uh, I kind of imagine the the scene at Costco where there's a bunch of different um, you know, registers, checkout lines that are going on in parallel. Um, but it has to be altered a little bit because I think at Costco, normally every register just has its own line. But if you imagine that instead the way that they organized it, which would actually be more fair, would be if there was just one big line. And then as you got to the front of the line, then you got assigned to one of the registers. And at the end of the day, um, pipelining is a mechanism that enables us to scale to many more transactions, many more users, many more applications, because um, when you have this big line at Costco, but you open up a bunch of different registers in parallel, then you can process a lot, you know, a lot more customers. And how do you think this approach to scaling compares to maybe previous efforts, some of which you've already delineated? Mm. There exists pipelining in different forms in certain other blockchains. Um, so as one example, Solana enables parallel execution. Um, and you know we've seen Solana deliver quite good performance from a throughput perspective. Um, but at the same time, because of the, um, the design of the, just the way that transactions are submitted and the way that dependencies are pre-specified on all of the transactions, 
Um, and then also the the choice of uh, language in which developers have to build in. Um, there's some potential hurdles to adoption with uh, with Solana in particular. Well, we've all got bridging on the mind. I just bridged to a base. I'm super base now. Oh, nice. Um, over the weekend, it was uh, to do the friend tech um, foray, <laughs> for lack of a better word. What's the approach there in terms of will there be a bridge and what are some of the trust assumptions? And are you based as well? Did you get based yet? Yeah, I actually did bridge over the weekend as well. Um, I think I'm holding nice. maybe like four or five other people's shares right now. I actually want to buy more. It's quite addictive. Um, really fun. I, I want to, I think. Hey, what, listen, I think that Frank has got a great not financial advice, but. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's an undervalued asset. I think not financial advice. Mm-hmm. I'll have to so go. There you go. I'll go check that out. Yeah, I want to. I want to expand my uh, portfolio for sure because I, I feel that it, one thing that's a little disappointing. It feels like they don't let you buy. They they don't let there be that many holders. Like you know the, the even the most popular ones have like fifty holders. Feels like should be more. I want is that is that like a sort of design mechanism there or? I think it's because of the bonding curve because the price goes up pretty, you know, with each additional share that gets bought, it goes up quite a bit. So, you know, by the time it gets to like one ETH, there's only like 70 shares that have been sold or something. So um, maybe they'll do like a stock split and then, and then, you know, it'll be more possible for everyone to like more people to hold Frank shares. Yeah. I'm all for that. I mean, it's, it's been kind of fun. Um, I mean, and I don't know exactly what it is. I think that we're all kind of, like with the market being the way it is with kind of all the major caps kind of stuck in the proverbial doldrums. Everyone's kind of itching to do something degeny, yeah. which I feel like is behind uh, folks moving into, I mean, really flooding into base at every opportunity that they have. Boredom, summer boredom, who knows? Yeah, I think it's great that uh, new things are being built. I'm pretty bullish on Web3 social overall. I think that identity is something that more and more people are starting to become aware of in the sense that it's not just your passport or your resume that you know are identifiers for you, but having um, yeah, having like alts, having a non-accounts, and having like an entire like history of achievements and nfts and badges and things that are all associated with that a non-identity so i'm pretty excited about what the future holds for for web3 identity and allowing people to have some form of ownership in that and create like having sort of like a more visible or transparent view into what the value of some of these things that have never had value ascribed to them before also true yeah um okay so we kind of okay so we're on the topic of bridging um will will there be a bridge yeah, we're speaking with a number of uh, the major bridges in the space right now, and we have day one commitments from several of them. So um, still pretty early days for, for Monad in terms of uh, growing out the ecosystem, but there definitely will be um, you know, most of the major bridges that everyone's familiar with as resources for people to transfer data and assets into Monad on day one. How do you sort of view that relative to others that are optimizing for high throughput like Solana, which you kind of right. touched on? I think there are a number of problems that are 
very clear that will be clearly valuable to solve for everyday people. Um, I think delivering high-performance DeFi is probably the single most obvious one right now. Um, like it's just very normal for people to go on DeFi and make a swap and pay one percent slippage or two percent slippage. Um, you know, the liquidity on a lot of assets is just not that deep, and a part of the problem is that the liquidity is not very concentrated. It's not really close to whatever the fair value is. It's pretty spread out along the bonding curve. So having more efficient DEXs where the liquidity is very close to fair value, which then requires that, you know, those orders, that liquidity to be constantly updated. That's a very clear area where we need improvement in order to deliver better experiences from the perspective of using crypto for personal finance. I think that's the single most obvious, like very immediate thing that could be done um, to enable more crypto adoption. So do you actually think like, like, you know, if you look at all the volumes, Uniswap as an example, if you look at even its token price, right, it's everything's flat, if not down. Mm-hmm. To what extent is unlocking sort of that, that price efficiency going to change the dynamic, change the game, and actually get people interested again as they were in what DeFi Summer was? I feel like DeFi Summer was its own... There were animal spirits versus, I mean, there certainly wasn't efficiency. I mean, this was before a lot of the fixes that we've had rolled out in the past mm-hmm. few years came online. Um, so will it, will, will it actually move the needle to an extent or or do you really need sort of the energy of the market, which is something that's not as quantifiable? Right. I think it ultimately reflects maturation of the, space and maturation of the the product offering and value add that um, we as the crypto space in general have to provide it's offering financial rails that are more efficient than traditional finance like i know people talk a lot about this but it it's true like um in equities there's t plus two settlement it takes two days for um, parties to trust each other to transfer equities that were bought by someone and sold by someone else that's really inefficient so crypto offers much more efficient trustless settlement Um, we're building financial rails that make that possible and i think in DeFi summer in 2020 everyone was really excited about that possibility even before that people were talking about it and excited about it and then investing in applications or infrastructure that would potentially enable those financial rails to take over the rest of the world. And it's the idea is right, but the execution has to be there also. It's like similar to investing in like online grocery grocery delivery companies in 2000. Like the idea is right. It is more convenient. It would be nice for you to be able to just order frozen broccoli online and have it show up to your doorstep. But you have to actually like build a company that can execute at that level and have that fleet of trucks and yeah you know the logistics is just insane so um i think the idea is right but you know the execution is really important so you raised nine million dollars in a pre-seed in may and then another 10 million in in december mm-hmm. what 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 do we do with the uh with the cash there what's the what's the sort of build out plan for the next six to twelve months 
Yeah, we're trying to use that cash as efficiently as possible, given the bear market and um, given that the thing we're building is quite ambitious. There's a lot to be done. Uh, but we've assembled a really awesome team. We're 20 people right now, mostly in NYC. Um, everyone's working really hard to deliver the technology that can ultimately be one of the pieces in the puzzle to enabling more efficient financial rails. To what degree have your counterparts, your former colleagues, or former you know, fellow market participants, to what extent have they identified some of these on-chain trading uh, opportunities? Um, are they there just as much as they are uh, in crypto derivatives or spot? And you know, for a a novice, what 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 do those opportunities look like, and how do they differ from centralized uh, trading strategies and opportunities? Right. Well, the the big hurdle for high frequency on chain trading is really just the gas fees. Um, like in traditional high frequency trading, the ratio of trades to orders is frequently um, greater than 10 to 1, can, can be up to 100 to 1. So if you're trading something that, you know, you're, you send an order and the notional value of that order is, well, just uh, make up a pretty big number, like $100,000. Um, but then you're paying $10 in gas fees to send that order. And then, you know, you're in a market where you're frequently updating your quotes to stay in line with what the fair value is. You're staying close to fair value so that you offer competitive liquidity. You know, if you have to send a hundred copies of that order, then $10 now has become a thousand dollars. And if your notional was only a hundred thousand dollars, then you've paid 1% of the notional, just keeping your order in the right place. And so in order to make that back, you would then need to make, 1% 1% back, um, you know, which would just be a lot of slippage. So, um, you know, I know I said earlier that there are cases where there's 1% slippage. Um, that's the kind of like the status quo right now when trading against an AMM. But it just doesn't, yeah, the economics don't really make sense in most cases for HFTs to trade in the way that they do on centralized exchanges because the cost of gas is very high. And so, how do you how do you see the future uh, shaping up in terms of the trading landscape? Maybe it's you know we can think about all sorts of different asset classes. Um, how much of it is on chain, and and how are the sort of market makers and trading firms operating in in a new paradigm like that? What does the jump or uh, virtue of twenty twenty five look like? Right. I would say there's two major factors. The first one is, like I said, the the cost of gas. And one of the reasons why um, one of the few places where we did actually see a lot of HFT activity, a lot of liquidity, a lot of volume was DYDX version three, um, which was deployed as a StarkX rollup, um, was because the gas was, was really cheap there. So that's sort of one of the ingredients that's needed. But the other one, and honestly, the one that's the most important from the perspective of building an exchange, building a business that has lots of users and lots of revenue and delivering a lot of value is actually just user acquisition. Um, when 
when I was in the traditional finance space, um, we supported a number of exchanges over the years that were that were upstarts. They were trying to compete against some incumbent, and they would get our team to go provide liquidity on this exchange, this new exchange, and would pay some sort of, um, you know, some sort of like stipend every month to go provide that liquidity. And most of those exchanges did not succeed. But the reason they didn't succeed wasn't the technology. It wasn't that it was like physically impossible to match those orders or whatever. They didn't succeed because they were not able to get enough users. So at the end of the day, user acquisition is the single most important thing that matters for building a new exchange. And that's a function of what you think? Just the the stickiness of traders on existing venues or the lack of um, proper business development and marketing? Um, I would say it's two things. It's the second thing that you said, which is having a really strong go-to-market effort that is really strong at going and acquiring users. Like if you look at Binance or Bybit or OKEx or Huobi, um, these exchanges that were so successful, um, even FTX, like the, it was really driven by really strong user acquisition efforts in the form of reflinks and um, you know effective advertising campaigns to get crypto natives and normal people alike to go on exchange and, and trade. So that's the first thing. And then I think the second thing is just delivering an actual value for users. Um, like it's just, I know it's really stupid, but you have to give users a good experience. And so I think the thing that makes me bullish about the future with fully on-chain limit order books, just as one example, is that it's possible to deliver a lot more value for users because you're potentially saving them a lot of money by offering them really cheap execution with really tight spreads. Um, another area that I'm really excited about is sports betting, because right now the average take rate on sports books is about 8%. I think the volume is something like you know $50 billion worth of notional volume transacted, $4 billion of profit for the sports books. 8% is insane. Um, so there's an opportunity to compete that down. And of course, there's a lot of things that have to happen to make that possible. But, um, you know, you have to deliver value to users in the form of better execution. Yeah. So that'd be interesting to see sports gambling all come on chain. Do you think that result like do you think that sort mm -hmm. of what type of platform do you think would be best suited to facilitate that? Yeah, I think a, a DEX is pretty ideal because it's permissionless um you know potentially like anyone could set up a market um we've seen the kind of the playbook for having derivatives powered by oracles that push things that are happening in real life on chain through attestations so i think a a you know a well decentralized sports oracle combined with a decentralized exchange that's enabling anyone to go make markets on outcomes of sporting events and compete down um, compete down the spread. That's another big thing is that I think the sports books right now are able to extract a lot of value because they're all centralized. They're all, you know, a single market maker that the, the house that's setting the odds and setting those really wide, wide odds that are really in its favor. So introducing an element of competition 
between the market makers to compete down the spread will be ultimately the thing that results in tighter spreads. I guess just thinking about the trading markets, market making space right now with volatility so low, seemingly less opportunities, what's the what's the game plan right now, do you think, for some of these shops? What do they, where do they sort of extract value or alpha in a market like this? I think the game plan is just to survive, honestly. You know, there's a lot of, there's uncertainty right now. There's clearly, you know, much diminished um, risk appetite. The macro environment with really high rates and a lot of economic uncertainty. That's clearly really tough right now. It's a really challenging environment for everyone. So just survive and tread water and keep, you know, building up capabilities in the background and then be ready for when tweak, tweak those, normalize. tweak those algos. Yeah. Tweak the algos. Exactly. Um, so are they still as interested in this space as they were? I mean, given the regulatory environment, do you, we've seen all these headlines of a pullback of a retreat. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, going back to the top of the convo, is that is that DeFi magnet still powerful, at least from a tech perspective, even if they're building some of this stuff in a, a theoretical, uh, from a theoretical positioning rather than a speculative one? Hmm. Um, what's your what's your temperature check? I think it reminds me a lot of when we were back in 2021 and people were talking about how like, Oh, you know, so lucky for, uh, you know, for you guys who've been around in the space for a while to be able to have bought Ether at $100 or to have been so early to the space. Like, that's, you know, that's just so lucky. And I think the answer is that it's not luck. It's really um, a combination of logic and vision and ability to project where the space will be in a couple of years, given, you know, what what you understand about markets or about startups or about people like it's definitely a challenging time right now there's no question about that but also there's no question in my mind that we're directionally correct the space in building more scalable solutions and better applications that um you know provide value to normal everyday people not just crypto natives. I think one thing that's confusing also is a lot of the users of a lot of these apps right now are very crypto native, but ultimately everyone is like excited because we're building things. We're testing the stuff out, you know, we're eating the dog food right now, but we're testing out and making better things that ultimately should provide financial rails and um, gaming rails, infrastructure rails, to support the whole world of usage. So I think it's just, it's like that. We're just back to the rewinding back to 2019 or something where, um, you know, it's really tough to have conviction and everyone was telling you like, oh, you should stop doing that crypto thing. Like, uh, honey, come down, you know, how's our little crypto guy doing up there in the attic? Um, Whatever that meme is. Are you winning? Are you winning, son? Right. Are you winning, son? That's what they're they're asking that now. And I think you have to have a combination of logic and vision to 
stick it out and then do the right thing and work with the right people to um, prepare for a better future. Well, you have Hasu and uh, Kobe on the cap table. Maybe you should have uh, flown out to Iowa to get Auntie Sue or someone uh, a bit more uh, outside the sphere. Walk us through um, the next... W- w- what should listeners of the show expect out of the project over the next six months? What are you excited about mm. and where can people learn more? I'm excited about showing off to the world all of the work that our team has been working on for the past 18 months. Um, it's been a long journey and there's definitely still um, quite a bit more ahead. Um, talking both about getting ready for mainnet and then, you know, even beyond mainnet, it's not like the work stops there. There's a lot of other things that new features, VM optimizations, um, new VM behaviors that we're hoping to launch to help push the space forward as well. So work doesn't stop at mainnet either, of course. I'm really excited over the next six months to show the capabilities of the technology that our team has been working on and launch the testnet and to start partnering with a lot of ambitious builders who are trying to build consumer-grade applications. What has been the reaction from folks from the trading market market making world uh overall quite excited i think there's you know a lot of people i mean just uh summarizing a lot of conversations i would say people generally think that fully on-chain limit order books that are fully composable and decentralized fully on-chain like no like off-chain component that that'll be really powerful so from specifically from the trading world um, folks are excited about that and and uh, looking to start making markets there. Um, but then beyond that, I would just say that people are excited about the fact that our mission is to try to help Ethereum and EVM to scale and see us as one of the one of the pieces of the puzzle. You know, there's other scaling solutions that are doing things that are very orthogonal to what we're doing, and um, we're just trying to help push the space forward the way that we know how, which is building really performant execution. Amazing. Well, we'll leave it there. Sir, thanks so much for joining the program. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Frank. Of course. And is there a handle, website, where can we point our listeners to learn more about Monad? Sure thing. Our website is monad, M-O-N-A-D dot X-Y-Z. And our Twitter handle is monad underscore X-Y-Z. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Have a good rest of your day. You too. And The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.